Good and gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you this morning and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody here know the name of Charlie Boswell? Charlie Boswell was blinded during World War II when helping uh, a wounded buddy escape from a tank that was on fire. And later, while undergoing rehabilitation at the Valley Forge General Hospital, his rehab specialist introduced him to the game of golf. Boswell had never played golf before, but he had been an athlete before his accident, and he developed a deep love for the game. Uh, the golfers in the room may be impressed to hear that he once shot an 81 and uh, ultimately won 28 national and international titles for blind golfers. One of his heroes was the great golfer Ben Hogan. And there's a story of how, how uh, Boswell once told Hogan that he would dearly love to play him in a round of golf. Charlie Boswell had actually won the Ben Hogan uh, invitational at one time and said, uh, Mr. Hogan, I'd love to play. And Ben Hogan said he'd be honored. Uh, and Charlie Boswell saw his opportunity. Would you like to play for money, Mr. Hogan? He said, I can't play you for money. It wouldn't be fair. Come on, Mr. Hogan, $1,000 per hole, he said. I can't do that, said Hogan. I can't take advantage of your circumstance. Well, are you chicken, Mr. Hogan? And finally, Hogan gave in. You're on, Charlie, said the great golf giant. You name the time and place. And a confident Charlie Boswell grinned and said, I'll see you tonight at 10 o'clock. <laughs> when facing a giant, it's important to lean into your strengths. In our text today, the one that you just heard Elisa read, David is facing a giant of a different kind in a contest that appears to be appallingly lopsided. I can never read this text without thinking of Michelangelo's marvelous work based on this very story. Of all the artistic renderings of David throughout history, none is more famous than Michelangelo's iconic sculpture. Uh, in David's left hand over his shoulder is the end of a sling which drapes across and around his back. In the other hand uh, is, is holding a stone. David is gazing at Goliath. He, his, his head is turned to face the tyrant, and all of his muscles, if you look at the sculpture, uh, are tensed and poised. He's on the verge of running. He's about to run out to meet an adversary. For someone who's going into battle, he's wearing very little. Very little. In fact, he's wearing nothing at all but courage, which, of course, is just another word for faith. We're told in Scripture that David is a person after God's own heart. And so we happen to be asking these days, how can we live as people whose lives resemble God's own heart? And today's text gives back this answer by resisting oppressors. 
by standing up to tyrants with the courage that is faith in the living God. The most famous battle described in the Old Testament wasn't fought between two armies, but between two individuals. In the Valley of Elah, David, the musician, the shepherd boy, the teenage nobody, faces off with Goliath, the Philistine, the war machine, the giant. Listen to the story. The Philistines were a strong and violent people. One day, the Philistine army invaded the valley of Elah. Saul and the men of Israel go up to meet him. The two armies camp on the slopes of two mountains on either side of this valley, with Philistines on one side and Israelites on the other, and they are in a kind of standoff and have been for a long time. Until one day, out of the Philistine camp comes striding this terrifying figure. The text doesn't call him a giant in the fairy tale sense, but he measures in at about six foot nine, and, and he is armed to the teeth. Thick helmet, body armor weighing about 125 pounds, an iron spear with a tip that weighs 15 pounds. In 1000 BC, Goliath is like a nuclear weapon. He stands in the valley and he roars to the Israelite people, pick your best fighter, send him to fight me. If I kill him, all of you lose and you will serve us. If he kills me, we lose and we will be your slaves. And he doesn't issue this challenge and then leave. It goes on for days and days, for 40 days, in fact. And Saul and the men of Israel are paralyzed with fear. And they sit around at night in the campfire and in their tents, and all they can talk about is how terrible and how hopeless the situation is. And of course, their talk just generates more fear because that's what anxious talk always does. It breeds more and more anxiety. Meanwhile, some 15 miles away, up in the Judean mountains in the village of Bethlehem, a teenager named David is keeping his father's sheep. He's too young to fight in the army probably knows very little about what's going on down in the valley. But David's father, Jesse, is concerned about his three older sons who are fighting in the battle, and so he tells David, take your brothers some food. David arrives in camp carrying his big brother's lunchboxes. But when he hears Goliath intimidating the troops, he starts asking questions. He's a kid, and kids ask great questions. What will this person get who kills the Philistine, he asks. And who is this Philistine anyway who defies the armies of the living God? His motives don't necessarily sound all that pure. You know, he's basically saying, what is in it for the one who does this? You can sort of hear David's ambition bubbling up, but that's okay. This God can use people whose motives aren't actually pure. God pretty much has to. David's big brothers hear him talking, and uh, his older brother becomes furious. Who's minding the sheep, you arrogant little so-and-so? I know what you're up to. Scram, kid, basically. But David doesn't give up. He keeps asking questions, and he keeps asking until finally they bring him to Saul himself. And now David, this boy, says to the king, don't give up hope. I will fight this Philistine. Saul says, no, you won't. 
You're not big enough. You're, you're, you're just a kid. That giant over there has been a warrior since before you were born. Undaunted, David describes for the king how he's gone after lions and bears who've come to snatch his father's sheep. I've gone after them, he tells Saul. I've caught them and I've killed them. And it was the Lord who delivered me from the lion and from the bear. And the Lord will deliver me from the Philistines. David has the courage of faith. How do we become people after God's own heart? We have the faith that gives us courage to stand for something. And Saul is moved. Something stirs inside of him. Maybe he's recollecting a faith he used to have. And so he says to the boy, then go. And may the Lord be with you. Do you remember when we first met David just last week? In his first appearance in Scripture, he doesn't utter a word. He doesn't do anything. He just passively receives his anointing. But today, he speaks and he acts. And and this is the rhythm that makes us faithfully human. At times, we must wait and be receptive At other times, we must speak out and act. And faithfulness to God requires that we attend to both. To speak and to act without waiting and receiving leads to shallowness. To have received, but then not to speak or act, kills the soul. David chooses to speak and act against an oppressor. He's going to do something now that is grim and gruesome and distasteful. He's going to fight. I think something in many of us struggles with this part of the text, and rightfully so. Many people, and this is understandable, prefer a more devotional approach to faith. The kind of faith that doesn't have to confront anything. It's hard to confront A faith that never has to get its hands dirty by engaging in the real ugly conflicts with evil in the world. But David can't be a person after God's own heart and avoid evil because God does not avoid evil. God is active in opposing oppression. You and I, if we wear the name of Christ, are called to the way of love. And love does more than just kind little deeds for people in pain. Love also addresses the causes of the pain. As Martin Luther, Jean, Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's not enough just to attend to the wounded by the side of the road who were beaten by robbers and left for dead. Sooner or later, we have to confront the robbers. I don't need to tell you there's no shortage of Goliaths on the field these days. Some of them are global tyrannies. Greed is a tyrant. Poverty, economic justice is a tyrant. Bigotry, racism, sexism, basically all the isms are tyrants. And here is a sad phenomenon in the eyes of many friends. American Christianity has become a Goliath an oppressive force rather than an invitation to life and light. 
In our nation, there seems to be a proliferation of giants while the leaders and people, including people of faith, remain dug in on opposite sides of that valley. So how do we speak and act against the Goliath of this age? Well, brothers and sisters, we don't ever do it with the tactics oppressors use which is the church's most common mistake when confronting evil. We try to use the enemy's weapons, manipulation, fear, force, deceit, hate. These do not belong to us. Saul tries to arm David with the same old stuff. Here, boy, wear this. Helmet, coat of armor, sword. David puts it on, he can't move. And so if you're a child of God, hatred does not suit you. Manipulation and deceit and force do not fit you. David says, I can't go with these. And he goes out to meet Goliath with nothing but a staff and a handful of rocks and a name. He goes with the name of the living God on his lips. And when Goliath sees him, he goes ballistic Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? A question that David was wise not to answer right away. He curses David and says, I'm going to make you buzzard meat. And David answers with the word that belongs on the lips of all the faithful. Whenever we face evil, he said this. He said, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, the weapons of your warfare. You come at me with power and money and lies and greed, but I come at you in the name of God, and God will defeat you. And all we know, we all know that God does not save by means of sword or spear, for not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And in that spirit, David runs. He runs to meet the adversary and he slings a smooth stone and it flies and it strikes and the oppressor collapses and is killed and the battle is over. Don't you wish it were that simple and quick? Don't you wish the oppressors of this world and the threats and the dangers and the sins in our lives could be overcome with a rock or two? But friends, that's not what conquers Goliath. This story is not about a slingshot. It's not about an underdog who defeats a giant in the afternoon. This story, friends, is about the power of God that overcomes evil when somebody will speak and act with the courage of faith. Oppressors don't come down in a day. Some giants, we fight our entire lifetime. But the message of Scripture is That every faithful witness, every deed, every word offered in faith, every personal obedient struggle against sin, God will use. Whoever runs into the struggle with the name of God and in the ways of God will overcome by the power of God. We know this because we know the name of one who showed us the way. We wear the name of Jesus, the son of David, who went out to meet the evil one for us all. 
and he took no weapons with him. He went naked and carrying a cross. And he died in his fight, but God was able to take even the stone of his tomb and use it to strike down the oppression of death for all of us. And now, you and I have real confrontations to make in the name of the living God. We do. We mustn't hide from them, and we mustn't try to fight them with false weapons that are not ours to use. Let's take the name and the spirit and the courage of Christ to have faith in the living God. And so, God, our defender, and Jesus, son of David, take our lives into your hand like smooth stones and use us for your purposes in this world. Help us not to be afraid, but to lean into our battles with the courage of faith. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who goes before us. Amen.